0: Thank you for joining us. Uh, We're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to our passage for today. Mark chapter 2, we'll start at verse 23, and then we're going to read through uh, chapter 3, verse 6. So Mark chapter 2, verses 23 is uh, where we will begin. I'll be reading from the ESV, and uh, the words will also go up on the screen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, and he's talking to the Pharisees now, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Amen, amen. Before I became a Christian, I really disliked rules. I always felt like I was above them. I did everything I could to kind of bend the rules in my favor. Maybe it's because I grew up watching too much Saved by the Bell, and Zach Morris was like my favorite, right? Or maybe it was like too much like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Will Smith was always like breaking and bending the rules. And I was like, those guys are cool. I want my life to look like theirs. Or when I got older, I listened to too much kind of grunge rock, Nirvana, very alternative, that kind of MTV generation. That's the 80s and the 90s. And so I grew up very spoiled and entitled and lawless, always trying to get away with as much as possible, always trying to do Everything that I wanted to do, regardless of what my parents said, regardless of what my teachers said or my pastors said. And this attitude led to a lot of sin and disobedience as a young man. Sins of recklessness, sins of perversion, sins of worldliness. But then later in life, when I started to take my faith seriously, a funny thing happened. I began to enjoy rules. I began to enjoy rules rules that told me what I needed to do in order to become a mature Christian. I enjoyed rules that required discipline and self-denial. As a high schooler, I read the book, The Road Less Traveled. It's by a psychologist named Dr. Scott Peck. And um, one of his main ideas is that that the key to like a flourishing, good life is, is understanding delayed gratification, delaying your gratification, not taking it now, but knowing that, you, that something better is waiting. And that really resonated with me. I was like, yes, i got to deny myself. i got to be able to delay my gratification. So I started to love rules. I loved rules that made me believe that I was spiritually superior to other people. As a freshman at USC, I looked around and I was like, man, the girls are more mature and godly. The guys I can't keep up, or the guys can't keep up with me. So I spent time with all the girls. Right? <laughs> right self justification right there. This rebel had turned into the self righteous Pharisee. And what's scary is that I didn't just enjoy obeying the rules. I also enjoyed enforcing them, calling out other people, accusing them of breaking the rules, accusing them of not living up to a life that is worthy of the gospel. Well, in our passage today, we see two confrontations between Jesus and the ultimate religious rule enforcers who are called the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the religious right in Israel. Their name literally means the holy ones. Imagine naming yourself. We are the holy ones, right? Or they also meant that uh, they are the, the separate, right? They are the separate, the separated. The Pharisees were the ultimate fundamentalists who were zealous for the law of Moses. And so far in the gospel of Mark, the tension has been growing. The tension has been growing between Jesus and the Pharisees. Earlier in chapter 2, the Pharisees were critical of the fact that Jesus kept company with tax collectors and sinners, that Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners, that he was comfortable around them. And they were like, what kind of godly man eats with the ungodly? And then next, they were critical of the fact that Jesus' disciples, they weren't fasting like the disciples of John. They weren't fasting like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so committed to God, so committed to holiness, so committed to the disciplines, they fasted on Monday and on Thursdays. But Peter, John, James, man, they ate, they feasted, right? Fed the 5,000, they had like double, triple portion, all you can eat with Jesus They're like, what kind of disciples are your guys? They don't even fast. The tension is building. And today we see that the issue is now the Sabbath. And we see that that the conflict between the, the Pharisees and Jesus becomes so serious, so severe, that at the end of this conflict, at the end of what they hear Jesus say and what they see him do, they want to destroy him. They want to kill him. So what's the big deal about the Sabbath? And why are Jesus and his disciples here being accused of breaking the Sabbath? All Jesus did was heal somebody. All the disciples did was pluck some grains of wheat so that they can eat. Well, let me share about how the Pharisees have missed the meaning of the Sabbath. Now, it's difficult for you and I to really understand the importance of the Sabbath to Judaism, right? Uh, I mean, I love you guys. Like church, I really, really do. Uh, But our worship starts at 9.30. We lag a little. We start at 9.35 on the dot. And when we start, there's like 12 people in here. And I'm always wondering, man, Lord, are people going to come today? Just the, the, the starting point, the metrics don't look good. To the Jews, right, they would never. Sabbath worship, whenever that time began whenever those first altars are lit, those first sacrifices, those first prayers, those first psalms are sung. Oh, the synagogue is full. Oh, the temple is packed. They would never just casually, nonchalantly come, making sure they got their Starbucks run in before they came to church service 15 minutes late. It's just not in our culture to, to venerate the Sabbath, to make it such like an honor kind of dominating obsessive priority in our lives. We actually don't have anything in our culture today that nearly is as sacred to us as the Sabbath was to the Jews. There's nothing in our culture that dominates the consciousness and the practices and the behaviors of an entire nation, all of Israel. Every man, woman, and child was called to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. There's nothing like that for us as Americans, but let me try and share and and help us to connect with why this was so important, why the Sabbath was so important that that these Pharisees were willing to kill Jesus for what they perceived as heresy. I would never kill anyone for coming late to church, right? That's just, that's like out of control, right? You see, to the Jews, keeping the Sabbath was one of the key marks that made them who they were. To be a Jew was to honor the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath lasted from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. It was a 24-hour deal. And the Jews had 39 rules in the Talmud. The Talmud is a Jewish commentary on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So these Jewish rabbis, kind of like we have commentaries on our books of the Bible today, they, they wrote commentaries unpacking and explaining the law of Moses to Israel. And in their Talmud, they have 39 rules on how to keep and observe the Sabbath. Exodus 31, verses 13 to 14, it describes the primacy, the centrality of the Sabbath for Israel. It's gonna go up on the screen. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I the Lord sanctify you. That means to make you holy. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is a ho- it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it that soul shall be cut off from among his people. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. That's heavy. That is heavy. If you break the Sabbath, you're not just in sin. You deserve death. If you work on the Sabbath, you should be cut off from God's people, excommunicated, cast out from the nation of Israel. You're not a true Jew if you work on the Sabbath. Moses says, above all, first and foremost, Israel, keep the Sabbaths. And so the Pharisees, they took God at his word. They took this seriously. They took this command to heart. So what did they do? They added more rules, conditions, and stipulations. Why? Because they wanted to protect themselves. They wanted to protect one another. They wanted to protect their nation from being destroyed and cut off, protect them from breaking the Sabbath. So what did they have to do? They had to define work. What is work? And how do we not work on Sunday. Does that make sense? Or on Saturday. Their their Sabbath was Saturday, okay? Work is now the problem. Work is now the enemy to the Sabbath, so we have to make sure that we don't work and do anything that resembles work. So in an effort to define work, the rabbis, they took it upon themselves to interpret what that meant. So for example, they made up these rules. You could not sew more than one stitch, You could not tie or loosen knots. You could not light or extinguish a fire. You could not write or erase one letter. All the high school kids would be like, yes, no homework on the Sabbath. You could not walk more than 1,999 paces. That's just a number. They had to keep it under 2,000 or else God would be angry with them, I guess. Some teachers, they went even pretty, like, some teachers even commanded that it was a sin to carry your children on the Sabbath. Imagine that, parents. It's a sin to carry your children. And some parents might actually like that one. They'd be like, yeah, dude, your kids asked me to carry them, right? Feed them, help them with their homework, and you simply say, sorry, guys, daddy's on Sabbath. Not today, right? Not today. Church, this is what it looks like. To get caught up with the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law. Or to get so obsessed with a tree, one nuance, one facet of the law, that you miss the entire force, the entire purpose of God, the story of God, what it means to belong to God, and what it means for him to be your God. In our passage today, we see two contentions over the Sabbath, Two conflicts over the Sabbath between Jesus and the Pharisees. First, we see that the Pharisees accuse the disciples of breaking the law. They pluck right heads of grain on the Sabbath, and they're like, they're working. They are harvesting. You're not supposed to farm. You're not supposed to harvest. You're not supposed to sow or reap, and the uh, disciples are doing that. They're lawless. Second, as Jesus sees a crippled man in the synagogue, the Pharisees want to trap him and see if he's gonna heal that guy. And if so, they're gonna accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Church, and trying so hard to keep themselves from working on the Sabbath, these Pharisees have completely missed the meaning and purpose of the Sabbath. And Jesus here, he corrects them. And he tells them that the true meaning of the Sabbath is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The true meaning of the Sabbath is that you are not made for the Sabbath, that Israel was not created to be enslaved to the Sabbath, that Israel was not created and called to perform and be religious on the Sabbath. No, it's the other way around. The Sabbath was made for them. The Sabbath was made for us. I'm going to unpack that more in just a few moments, but that is the heart of today's message. That is, is what Jesus is really trying to teach us about the Sabbath. We were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. So how does Jesus respond to these accusations from the Pharisees? Your disciples are lawbreakers, and you're about to break the law if you heal that crippled man. Well, Jesus, he takes this opportunity. He says, I'm going to restore the Sabbath. I'm going to teach you what it really means. And I love the fact that Jesus refutes the Pharisees with Scripture. He doesn't just make an eloquent rhetorical argument against them. And he doesn't just lean on his own authority. He could have said, I am the Son of God. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to dictate the rules of the Sabbath. You guys are wrong. We are. I am right. He could have done that. But instead, he goes straight to Scripture he goes straight to scripture and he recalls the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where David and his companions, they are fleeing from King Saul and they enter into the house of God weary and in search of food, but there is no common bread to eat. Only the consecrated bread is there. Now, technically they were not supposed to eat that. Common people are not supposed to eat the bread that is dedicated to God, the, the, uh, the, the bread that is on the table of the Lord. And the only ones that would actually eat that bread would be the priests, okay? But here's the thing. They had to eat weak, old bread. And so every week on the Sabbath, there's fresh baked bread, right? 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they lay that at the table of the presence. And then the old bread, they take it away and then the priests eat the old bread, right? So it's not even like the priest got the good stuff, okay? But ordinary people, Right, you could not eat the bread. They can't touch the bread. They can't have the bread. But David and his companions—they're not Levites, they're not priests—but here, an exception was made, and they don't eat the weak old bread that the priests have. They actually eat the bread of God. They eat that fresh bread on God's table, and God approved of it. They were not condemned. They were not judged. The priest approved of it. God approved of it. And Jesus is pointing to the story, and he's like, do you not understand? Do you not understand the heart of God, the work of God? Why is Jesus pointing to David? And Jesus' point is not that, hey, when you're hangry, anything goes, right? He's not saying that when you're hungry, you can break the laws of God. That's not what he's saying. He points to David because Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the king, the true king of Israel, the David's throne, the David's kingdom, that David's work all pointed to. So you see, God made a covenant to David, and he says, your throne will be an everlasting throne, that there's gonna be a greater king that's gonna come after you, and he's going to save his people. He's going to restore his people. He's going to lead his people to flourishing and life. Well, in Jesus, the king has come. Jesus has come to sit on the throne of David. Jesus has come to fulfill the covenant promises that God made to David. And so the example of David serves as a precedent for Jesus. What God has approved for David, God will certainly approve for his son, Jesus Christ. What God has proved, approved for David's companions, God will approve for Jesus' disciples. And in verse 27 to 28, Jesus lays down the main idea. And I've already shared this, but I'm going to read it again. Verse 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the heart of the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. The Sabbath is not just some religious ordinance filled with endless rules and regulations. It is not a day full of do-nots. I wanna share something with you guys. Growing up, there are certain sins in my life that I tried not to commit on Sunday. Do you guys have any of those, right? There were, in my life. I was like, okay, I'll do it on Friday, but not on Sunday, because Sunday's a holy day. It's so silly, but this was the heart of the Jews. This was the heart, they said Sunday is a day where, you know, it's a more and more do nots. That's not what Sunday's about. It's not about enslaving us to the law. Holiness is not merely the absence of sin. Holiness is much more. It's overwhelmingly positive. To be holy, to set something apart, is to fill it with the presence of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, the love of God. Holiness is not just the absence of sin. And so God created the Sabbath for man. Think about this. The Pharisees, They thought they were honoring the Sabbath by going back to Moses. They thought they were honoring the Sabbath by going back and quoting Exodus and the law and going back to Sinai. But Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he goes back much, much further. He goes back to creation and he restores the true meaning of the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was instituted before Sinai, before Moses, before Abraham, before the fall, before there was even sin, guys, there was Sabbath. Think about that. Before there was sin, there was Sabbath. Before Adam even worked and tilled the ground in the garden. You know what the first thing Adam did? His first day, it was rest. Before he worked, God rested. Why? Why? Because God was teaching us something about our relationship with him. God was teaching us something about the purpose of our lives and the kind of rest and peace that he provides for us. You see, after creating the world on the seventh day, God rested, not because he was weary, but because after each day when he created the world, he looked at it and he said it was good. And as he finished creation on the sixth day, he looked at it and he said it was good, and so God rested to enjoy his work. And God was patterning for us the importance and meaning of a Sabbath that on the Lord's day, when we come and we worship, we would rest in God and we would enjoy his work. Okay, just think about that. That's one of the great purposes of today, of this moment right now, that we would not think about everything that we have done for God and that we wouldn't be burdened by all the things we're not doing for God and all the things that we need to do for God. But when we worship him on this Sabbath day, We would behold his work and we would rest in him. We would look at his work and say, God, your work is good. My works, oh, they are filthy rags. But God, your works are good. You rested first, you delighted first, and you patterned that for us. That's what God wants to show you today. That's the heart of the Sabbath. For us to join him in his rest, to receive from him his rest. Now, brothers and sisters, there are two ways you and I, we ruin the Sabbath. We ruin the Sabbath. First, the first way you and I, we wreck the Sabbath is that, um, uh, just like the Pharisees, we interpret it as the absence of work. You think because, hey, I am not working on Sunday anymore. Or I'm not working on Sundays and I have weekends off and so yeah, that's how I honor the Sabbath. I show up to church and so I'm honoring the Sabbath. You think that the Sabbath primarily means physical rest, physical rest. And if you think that the, the rewards, that the blessing, the gifts, the benefits of the Sabbath are purely in this world, purely in this moment, purely in the physical You guys are missing out the true blessing and the true purpose of the Sabbath. You see, friends, um, there's this weird thing that, like, I've heard a lot of Christians who serve a lot at church get burnt out, and they complain, and they say, you know, Pastor Michael, I serve so much at church on Sundays, I don't feel like I get a Sabbath. Have you guys ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Oh my goodness! I'm on worship team, and we now do two Sunday services, and we're here from 8 a.m. to 1:30 p.m. Setup, breakdown. I'm getting burnt out. I'm not experiencing a Sabbath anymore, or I'm serving down in education department, or we do Awana, and Awana ends at like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. I'm already here at first service 9:30. I am wiped. Where is my Sabbath? Or even worse, they'll say, Pastor Michael, how was your Sabbath on Monday? And they think that, we think that a Sabbath is a day off physically. Friends, that is not the Sabbath, okay? Physical rest does not equate Sabbath rest in God. You see, because if you think that, then you, start, you can get bitter. And you actually think, okay, you know what would be an awesome Sabbath? A vacation in Hawaii. You, th- you think, oh man, you know, today I'm not gonna go to church. I'm gonna actually just sleep in and just physically just unwind, relax, and rest. And that will be an awesome Sabbath, All right? Friends, that is not the Sabbath. That's just relaxing. That's just physical rest. You know when my Sabbath is? It is not on Monday. My Sabbath is right now, today. My Sabbath is resting in God and his work. My Sabbath, my Sabbath is worshiping with a family of God, the body of Christ. My Sabbath is to serve the people of Christ, and remember, on this day, Jesus has served me through his life, death, and resurrection and ground my identity in him. Friends, just because you stop serving, just because you take breaks, just because you feel tired or weird, that, 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 that that is a shallow understanding of the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath doesn't mean not doing stuff. No, there's a positive, there's a powerful purpose that God has for the Sabbath, and we're gonna see that in the last point. But one way you wreck your Sabbath is when you tell yourself, man, it is physical rest. And so when you unwind on a Sunday night and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I did so much at church. I don't even think I had the Sabbath. You don't understand what a Sabbath is. The second way we ruin Sabbath is by using the Sabbath to prove ourselves to God. This is another Fault of the heresies. You see, they were so religious, they were so zealous, they were so about their performance, they wanted to prove their worth to Him. I will obey all 39 of the rules that we actually made up in the Talmud. I will obey all of these to the T to show that I am a true Jew, I'm a true son of Abraham. We try to prove our worth to God. We try to prove our worth to others. We try to prove our worth to ourselves by what we do on the Sabbath. And that is the second way we wreck our Sabbath. Um, If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, I think everyone my age and older has, and uh, most of our millennials haven't. But it's an amazing movie. One of the great, great classics. You should watch it if you haven't. But it's about two runners in the 1924 Olympics. One is a name Eric Liddell and the other is a man named Harold Abrams. And they were both running in the 100-meter dash. Eric Lydell is the main protagonist of the story. He's a Christian. He eventually becomes a missionary. The 100-yard race lands on a Sunday, and in his devotion to God, he chooses not to run. He chooses not to run, even though he's like the forerunner. He beat Abrams in a qualifying heat, so he probably would have won gold, but he chooses not to. He chooses not to, to rest in God. Abrams was not a believer. He was not a Christian. He was pretty much an atheist. And so he runs the race. But I'll never forget what Abrams said. He says this, I have got 10 seconds to justify my existence. That's why I run. Why do you work so hard, Abrams? Abrams. Why do you train so hard? Why are you so diligent? Why are you so zealous? Because I have 10 seconds on that track to prove my existence. Same question you can ask Eric Liddell. Why do you run? He says, because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I feel God's pleasure. You see, friends, there are some of you, you do not enjoy your Sabbath. Sabbath. You do not experience your Sabbath because your Sabbath is not about God's work. It's about your work. It's about you trying to justify yourself that this week, I really will live a better life. This week, I really have walked with God. And so, yes, I can worship. Yes, I can sing. Yes, I can pray. Yes, my conscience is unburdened because I did enough. Or if you didn't, you are crushed. Brothers and sisters, that is not the heart of the Sabbath. The church is not a time for you to put yourself on examination and ask yourself if you pass. Here's the reality. If that's what it's about, we have all failed. We have all failed, right? We are not here to justify ourselves before God. No. Jesus Christ is the justifier of us through his life, death, and resurrection. God offers us Sabbath rest. When Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath, do you know what he's telling us? He's not saying I have the authority to dictate the terms of the Sabbath. You know what Jesus is saying? That he is the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath, I am the Lord of the Sabbath and I am the Sabbath that Jesus himself provides for you and I, true, complete and eternal rest. The real work we rest from, it is not simply from your weekday jobs. The real work that you and I need rest from is trying to earn God's favor on our own. We need rest from trying to justify ourselves. We need rest from trying to save ourselves. We need rest from trying to live a perfect life, to be that perfect father, that perfect mom, that perfect spouse, that perfect friend, that son or daughter. We need to be liberated and unbridled from ourselves and united to Christ. We need to stop trying to justify ourselves and remember that we are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. This is the rest that Jesus offers you. So how do you keep the Sabbath? How do you keep the Sabbath? We're gonna close, this is the last point, but it's a shorter one. Let's go back to the text. And let's read again from chapter three and let's remember Jesus' encounter with this crippled man, this man who has a shriveled hand. And starting in verse one, Jesus enters the synagogue and this man was there with a withered hand and they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He asked them a question. And it seems simple. How would you answer? To do good or to do evil, to save or kill. But what did the Pharisees do? They remained silent. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. It is fascinating that Jesus was both angry and grieved. He's so complex. He's so human, Right? And if you've never experienced that, it just means that like, you've never kind of uh, seen somebody that you love or care for get hurt. Uh, when I was a kid and I used to get injured, like, I, I got injured all the time. I went to the emergency, emergency room so often and I had so many bruises that my elementary teachers called child protective services on my parents because they thought I was getting abused, right? But every time, every time I got hurt, my dad would get angry at me. I would see in his eyes, like, pure anger. And they would come to his senses and ask how I was doing, but kind of after he yelled at me for getting hurt, right? But I could see in my father both a grieving that I was hurt, a grieving that I was clumsy, a grieving that I was wounded, but also, like, anger because, you know, the, the, you know there, there's that complexity of emotions, We see that in Jesus here. Why is he angry? Because there's so much pride and hardness of heart in the Pharisees. Why is he grieved? Because they're so lost. They can't even answer a simple question. These are supposed to be experts on the law. Men who had dedicated themselves to the law of Moses, dedicated themselves to practicing and observing and honoring and keeping in the Sabbath, and they can't even answer a simple question. On the Sabbath, do we do good or evil? Do we save life or do we kill it? And the Pharisees know if they say, oh, we do good, that they're giving Jesus the green light to heal. And then they're going to look like the hypocrites for allowing him to do work. And suddenly they're like, wait, there, there's work, but, but it's right. And, it's got, and suddenly their whole system breaks down. Their whole system breaks down. And so Jesus grieves and he's angry. These are supposed to be the leaders of Israel. These are supposed to be the shepherds of God's people and they don't understand the Sabbath. Do you know what the Sabbath is about? Jesus saying, on the Sabbath, we remember we are called to do good. We're called not only to, to worship God and to adore him and give our offerings to him. On the Sabbath, you are called to do the works of God unto one another that on the Sabbath, we gather as a church and you gather to serve, you gather to love. Brothers and sisters, I wanna share this. If you come to All Nations week in, week out and you have no heart to serve, all you wanna do is worship God and hopefully the sermon's pretty good, not too long. Say your prayers, give your offerings and go right home. You're missing out on this part of the Sabbath where Jesus says to God, Meet the needs of others. Serve others. Do the works of God unto one another. That's how you keep the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. Tim Keller writes The Sabbath is about restoring the diminished, it's about replenishing the drained, it's about repairing the broken. To heal the man's shriveled hand is what the Sabbath is all about. This is the twofold vision of God. This is what God had in store for us, that on the Lord's day when we gather, we would remember his work and we would say it is good and we find our rest in him. And the second thing that we would remember is that we are called to do good works unto one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. May that be our expression of faith each Sunday, as we gather here at All Nations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us a rest that no earthly vacation ever can. Lord, we've been there. We, we've gone on trips. We've taken days off. We've slept in. We have binged watched TV shows thinking that that would restore our souls. And we've seen those as inadequate sources of rest in life. We are quickly depleted. We are quickly drained. But Lord, we know and we believe that when we come to you, you are the fountain of life. That when we come to you with our weariness, that when we come to you with our wounds, when we come to you with our exhaustion and hunger, God, that you alone can satisfy And your satisfaction is not momentary. It is not fleeting. It is eternal. So God, we thank you. I pray right now for my brothers and sisters here who might be hungering, who might be struggling, who might be in desperation for you. God, would you provide them your rest? Help them to experience your goodness. Help them to know that They don't have to prove themselves anymore in your presence. Jesus Christ has proven and paid it all. And Lord, help us to also heed the call that you have given us to love one another, to serve one another, to do good unto one another. May we live that out on this Sabbath day. I thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.